This is Fundraising Radio, and today is a guest speaker. We have Sammy Rusani, the Chief Revenue Officer at ShipChip. And today we're going to talk about being an angel investor, pros and cons, how to invest during the coronavirus, how to raise money during the coronavirus. So today our topic is angel investing during these tough times. So Sammy, let's kick off by you giving us some background on yourself and on your most recent fundraising experience. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for uh, for having me here. Uh, super excited. Um, I think <clears throat> the background on myself. Yeah, it's it's you know I'll, I'll do the very short version and then you can dig in if you want to. But Sounds I'm good. You know, born and raised in Sweden. Uh, started working in the music and entertainment industry very early on. Um, always tech was always uh, kind of my way to to innovate and and to get things going faster and, and grow faster and work with the big companies etc moved to LA 15 years ago uh, and continued working in the music industry first and then started an agency that was ranked on the Inc 500 list uh, worked with some of the biggest uh, global brands in the world uh, doing that and then venture deep into technology with uh, starting ship chain with uh, you know it's a blockchain based um, platform for transport and logistics. Uh, also been involved in you know AI projects and, and esports projects, uh, etc. I just I just love technology, uh, so that's really it. And when it comes to fundraising, you know it's it's um, it's an industry I've always been really interested in and 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 very curious about uh, because when you're when you're on the outside, it's a mystery, kind of like well, how do you even find money, you know and mm-hmm. and. <laughs> Uh, and, and as an investor, you know, how do you find good projects, etc.? So, you know, I've been fortunate enough to, to build a great network of international, uh, both angels and VCs, etc., and also become an angel investor myself. Uh, and and been fortunate enough to to raise uh, you know a whole bunch of money for uh, both my own, but others uh, as well. So, it's been it's been an interesting journey, you know, coming so- into the, the investing world. Yeah. Sounds good. Sounds good. And thank you for, for a short introduction. I love them. Uh, so let's yeah. move to your uh, to your ShipChain fundraising experience. Were you involved into that? Because ShipChain raised $30 million. That's that's a very impressive sum of money. Yeah, it is. And, you know, that was an interesting effort because um, as opposed to other fundraising projects uh, I've been involved with, um, which had, has gone through angels and institutions, ShipChain's was was a crowdfund uh, round, right? So it was it was a crowdfunding round. It was a token generation event, and uh, that that means that you know it wasn't any traditional way uh, that funds were were raised and and kind of contributed to the project at all. So that was an interesting experience. Uh, but it also shows the power of the many, as opposed to just mm-hmm. the power of one, uh, you know, one or a few guys, so to speak, guys or gals. <laughs> Good addition there. Uh, so let's go a little bit in depth into that because I still didn't quite catch how do you raise. So you said it was a crowdfunding token generation, right? So was it an ICO? Uh, yeah, I mean that's yeah. I guess we could you know people call it different things: ICO, token generation events, etc. Uh, but but yes, absolutely. So it's a, it's a pre-purchase of a token to be used on the uh, the platform. Got it. That's that's great. And you managed to raise all thirty millions through this token generation event. Yes. Yes. That's exactly. very so we impressive. Set a cap. Yeah, we set a cap. We were. Uh, I mean, the, unfortunately, you know, what came out of that industry was there was a lot of projects that were kind of 
you know, a little bit shady and, and just kept mm -hmm. raising money, even though they hit their hard caps and all that stuff. But we had a hard cap we set at 30, uh, and we were offered way more than that. But uh, we didn't want to dilute the, the amount of, of, you know, tokens being sold, et cetera. And, and uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, we, we kept it at a hard cap. We, we kept it by the book. We kept everything as, you know, to the extent of, of uh, yeah. I mean, what would you say to, to keeping it as, as, as uh, viable to the business as possible, you know? Right, that's that's pretty ethical thing to do and thoughtful. So let's talk about oh, something course. you just mentioned. You said the power of the crowd. What, what do you mean by that? Besides the money, uh, that's that's the topic that really interests me in fund in crowdfunding. Besides the money that you get from the crowd, what what else do you get? Well, so from the from the crowd, when when you do a crowdfunding uh, kind of project, as as you've seen with many different things, I mean, you could do, I mean, there's Kickstarter and all these platforms as well, right? Where you have a massive crowd that that also feel passionate about the the, the products, right? That that's being built and constructed. Then you have the power of the crowd to go out and, and help promote as well, right? Because you feel that you're a mm -hmm. part of something, right? It's the same like when, when you crowdfund uh, like movies, for example, right? And you can have your name at, in the end titles. Of course, I'm going to go out and tell all my buddies to watch the movie because <laughs> my name is in the end titles, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And or then they buy, cut out that you know, part. If a cool, yeah, if I buy a cool T-shirt and support support a great prod uh, project or charity or if i if i buy the the coolest new can opener or if i buy uh, again a, a token or if i buy whatever it is that i buy the power of the crowd that's really you know what you need in in today's landscape when you want to grow something you know you need the power of the crowd and if you can have the crowd engaged and interested in your project and and kind of voluntarily Helping promote it—that's, I think that's, you know, that's the most amazing thing you can you can achieve really when you want to grow a business. Right. So before we move on to cross-border investing, which interests me a lot as well, let's talk a little bit about this crowd promotion first. So uh, you said that crowd is going to voluntarily promote you, and you have some decent experience in uh, fundraising as well as in marketing and sales, right? So mm -hmm. I was curious about this part about swag for those who have seen silicon valley the show you know what i'm talking about but let's talk about this part about the physical uh like actual uh advertising not virtual but giving out t-shirts uh pants stickers etc have you ever done this in your life yes absolutely absolutely I even from the early days when you know i was working with artists uh, that's how you got people interested and how you got them to talk about, you know, the band. Look what I just got from this band. And they snap a picture and they post it online. And then people are like, well, who's this band? Now I got to go listen because my friend just said so, right? It mm -hmm. is the power of, you know, we call it the, it's a whole other philosophy we can, you know, it's a separate podcast. But it's it's kind of <laughs> like you got to engage the people that have a following already, right? You know, that's, that have people looking up to them. Th those are the ones you need to engage because uh, I, otherwise you're, it's like you're going door to door, knocking on doors where to people you don't know and you're trying to sell them something as opposed to, you know, giving it to someone who knows them already, who says, mm -hmm. hey, go check this out, you know? And that's that's really, the uh, again, the power of the crowd if you find those influencers or, or power ambassadors or whatever you want to call them, 
Uh, and that's why you want to give out swag. And that's why, you, because if people proudly wear it and they take pictures and, and they get other people interested, you've kind of done your job, right? Pens, mm -hmm. not so much. I don't really believe in <laughs> pens uh, because who cares? Like nobody uses <laughs> pens anymore. Uh, but Ouch. but if it's a cool t-shirt, you know, if it's a cool cap, if it's a cool hoodie, if it's a cool anything, really bags, I'm not super big on either because anything that people throw away or put in the back of their trunk or whatever, I, I don't think is really, you know, doing much. But um, yeah, I think swag is, is great. It has its its place and its time, you know? Mm -hmm. I know, I'm a big fan of swag, all sorts of swag. I'm basically not buying any clothes except for pants because no one gives out pants for free. I'm not sure why. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm continuously wearing, like right now I'm sitting in a hoodie of Visa. Yeah, <laughs> Anyways, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I wear it everywhere basically. So yeah. let's go back from swag to our topic fundraising and let's talk a little bit about cross-border investing. Have you seen many investors uh, from outside of U.S. actually go into the U.S. where the valuations are much higher compared to, I know, countries of third world? Uh, have, have you seen that happening a lot? Yeah, absolutely. Because here's the thing. you got to realize that even though valuations are high, that there is literally no no ceiling in, in the U.S., right? But when, when something achieves unicorn status in the U.S. as opposed to pretty much any other country, uh, you know, the, the valuations, 100x, 1000x, 10,000x, uh, you know, it, it just goes to complete insanity at some times. I mean, we've seen what happened with WeWork and, and all that, right? So, but, but, but I mean, U.S. is the number one kind of consumer market of the West, right? And that's really where you want to be. If you have a company based anywhere, you want to enter the, the American market. You know, just like, I mean, you know, now there's, of course, a trade war going on and all that, but the Chinese market is, is massive too, right? So, so depending on what you're selling, you got the Indian market, you got up everything over in Asia, right? But, but, but in the West, you, I mean, you need to be in the US. That's just a no brainer. Uh, so when I, you know, when we've uh, worked with in, in other projects, uh, international investors, that are, are looking at uh, funding either European or American companies, uh, you know, having a plan to go to the U.S. is absolutely essential. That's, the, that's one of the first things they're going to ask you if you are outside of the, if you're based outside of the U.S., it, I would ask you too. I mean, if I'm investing in something, what's your plan for going to the U.S.? <laughs> you know, of course. Uh, sure, you could conquer local markets first, and 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 of course, you know, because it's expensive to go into the U.S. as well, right? So, Absolutely. sure, get your cash flow, your revenues, and, and all that in, in local area first. But but there should be a plan, in my opinion, to to hit the U.S. That's a good point. So let's talk about founders who are already in the U.S. but who think that they should raise from outside of the U.S. Uh, have mm -hmm. you seen that happening often? Oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I've helped uh, several companies raise money outside of, of the U.S. because depending on what you're doing, there's different options, right? So in, in Europe, for example, you have the opportunity of getting a lot of uh, matching grants from, from either EU or, or from, uh, from the countries that you're in. Like, for example, I know countries in Scandinavia, they have uh, the government kind of matches investments and grants. You can get a lot of soft money. Uh, and I'll ask if you're based there, but if you're, if you're based in the U S and going outside still, 
uh, again, European investors are looking for opportunities in the U.S. because it's such a big market. Asian investors are looking for opportunities in the U.S. There's a lot of Singaporean family offices and venture funds that are heavily going into uh, U.S., right? There's a lot of Chinese. There's a lot of um, Indian. There's a lot of, you know, Japanese even, uh, even though they're, I feel they are a little bit more restrictive. But, but again, it's, it's inevitable because America is such a big market such a big economy it's a big yeah. consumer mindset you know that's right people a, buy all they want not necessarily just what they need right so. <laughs> right that's american style so let's talk about yeah. a little bit more about what you mentioned it's the big family offices in china because i think that's one of the biggest uh fastest growing markets right now obviously uh the amount mm -hmm. of wealth they're generated is just enormous and more and more people are actually trying to transfer their wealth from China into the US as just to, to be sure that they still have wealth, whatever happens with China. So how should founders here in the US reach out to, to those Chinese investors? Do you think it's even possible for them to to get into, into a good relationship with them? Absolutely. Here's the thing. It's hard. I'm not going to lie. If you don't have the connect, so this goes for, I would say, Singapore, Hong Kong, China, those are the three main countries I've had experience in. Uh, it, you know, it's it, warm introductions are everything. I, I don't think you're going to have a lot of success. Here's what you can in the US, you can kind of cold approach uh, angels and investors. And if you're really good at what you're doing, you're getting a meeting, right? Uh, mm -hmm. China, if you're sitting in the U.S. and hoping to connect with Chinese investors over LinkedIn, <laughs> I wish you good luck, right? You need a warm intro. You need to be there. I feel, in, in my experience, uh, Asian investors are very, you need to go have dinner with them. You need to go get drunk with them. You need to go kind of <laughs> let them take you out for dinner and, and do the big family style tables and and, and it's a lot of like, you got to hang out for a few days. You got to eat very good food and, a gut, and you got to drink a lot of wine and, and all their local spirits and all that stuff. And, and it's just, you know, you got to hang out and get to know. That's just how it works there. That's the culture as opposed to the U.S. where sure you can wine and dine, but it's more everybody knows at the end of the dinner, you're going to discuss business. Oh, yeah. There it, it's considered rude. Like uh, until they're ready to discuss business, you don't talk business. It's just considered very rude and you don't say no to food and you don't say no to going out and, and having dinners and, and all that stuff. So it's, you got to learn the culture. So, so what I, I guess what I'm saying here in, in, a, in a long answer is you, it, you find a warm intro somehow. And again, it's six degrees of separation we live in, right? You, you, I'm, I'm almost certain you can find someone who knows someone who knows someone who's lived in China or been to China and knows someone in China. And then you just work your way from there. Maybe somebody knows a store owner. Maybe that store owner knows a banker. Maybe that banker knows <laughs> an investor. Do you see what I mean? Like, any, yeah. if you really want that money, you got to go get it. <laughs> you know, don't hope for getting introductions to the biggest family offices just right off the bat. You may sometimes you got to build your way there, and sometimes you you get lucky and you have a, a warm intro. Maybe you have uh, a banker at Morgan Stanley who can. Uh, yeah, or or um, whatever, J.P. Morgan or, you know, Goldman Sachs who can introduce you over there, whatever. Whatever path you need to take, you, you need to go there, you need to get warm introductions. So, right, yeah. Before so, we go to my uh, to the next topic of your personal angel investor experience, I wanted to ask you, 
since you have so much background in sales and marketing, uh, many startups struggle a lot with gaining first traction. They're trying to build their product first to make sure it's polished and all as well. How should they go out for first first uh, customers, especially in B two B market? How should they go for their first customers in a B two B market? You know, here's the thing. You know, revenue and cash flow is king. Obviously, uh, if you want to raise money, not all the time do you need revenue, but but it's good to have. Uh, how would they go about that? I mean, here's the thing make make an effort right i tell this to entrepreneurs all the time because i i feel like that's really where it's lacking it's two keywords here consistency and effort a lot of people think that it, you know it's it's a one click instant gratification society a, a man <laughs> i click connect with someone on linkedin and and they're not replying so uh this doesn't work <laughs> while while the people who are raising money are relentlessly making 40 calls a day sending 100 emails a day you know, you're, you're pulling all your connections to get introductions. And when it comes to generating uh, cash flow in B2B, same thing there. LinkedIn is an amazing tool. You know, pay that extra whatever, 50, 60 bucks a month to get that sales navigator thing. Find people, call them, have a perfect elevator pitch, you know, get, get in the door, uh, send emails, send messages, uh, do some press, pitch reporters, pitch writers. It'll create an interesting story about your brand that that you know people want to share and engage with. It's it's typical traditional marketing 101, and there's really no uh, fast tracking about it. You got to put in an effort. You got to be consistent with your messaging, and and just again hit the phones, hit the emails, hit the LinkedIn, hit whatever you can, man. This is you're a shark and you're hungry. Go out and eat. Oh, yeah. You know. <laughs> that's that's you mentioned so many things to do and that's exactly why good founders really work for 12 hours per day basically seven days a week so be prepared for fun stuff to go on once you need to generate for traction but now let's move on to maybe happier part uh let's talk about your angel investing experience so can you give us some background on yourself as of an angel yeah, I mean, I started angel investing, uh, you know, a couple of years ago in companies. Um, and as you know, angel investors are, are, are the people you go to before you hit institutional investors when you're doing kind of like a pre pre seed round um, or, or a pre seed round and you just want to raise smaller, smaller amounts of money. Most angel investors write tickets anywhere between five and a hundred thousand or so. Uh, and, you know, I started angel investing a couple of years ago because I like, I, I mean, I love entrepreneurs and I, and I love seeing founders working hard at their projects and I love innovative and, and exciting projects. And, you know, I want to be a part of that and I want to help them grow. And, and at the same time, you know, maybe I can learn something or at least, you know, make some money as well. Hey, let's not hide that fact that we all want to make some money. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and uh, yeah, it's an interesting journey, you know? Uh, I, I, as, as soon as you put angel investor on your LinkedIn profile, you get, you know, 100 pitches a day. <laughs> uh, and, and while I do commend people's efforts, that is not the best way to go about it, but that's, that's a separate discussion maybe. But, but uh, yeah, so I've, I've invested, I have a portfolio of, of uh, I would say maybe eight or nine companies that I've invested in at, at different levels. 
uh, and that I monitor very, very closely. I, I you know, um, some of the, 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 the bigger checks, so to speak, even though they're not very big, but uh, I talk to their, you know, I get a weekly reports from their CEO. Uh, I attend their board meetings. I listen to their financial reports, et cetera. They go to market strategies, try to help them with input where I can, um, you know, to help them grow. That's great. That sounds like you're a pretty hands-on investor. So you said that yeah. once you put an angel investor on your LinkedIn, you start getting tons and tons of pitch decks. And I, I, I've heard that a lot. So let's talk about <laughs> pitch decks a little bit. Uh, I have yeah. a standard question that I try to ask all my investor speakers, and it's three must-have points on the pitch deck. Yeah. Here's the thing, though, if I just may interject first. Before you send someone a pitch deck, Say hey, how are you? You know, <laughs> right? <laughs> Don't just send people eight paragraphs and a pitch deck. That to <laughs> me and and all of my fellow angels and VC friends and all that, they all tell me the same thing. It's just delete immediately. Mm -hmm. I don't know you. Why would I waste, you know, ten minutes reading your eight paragraphs and then looking through your pitch deck? I don't even know who you are. Uh, you've never even asked or said hello or asked me how I am like it's just here's the thing there's there's a lot of good deals out there why would I look at yours if you don't even make an effort to get to know me you see what I mean to right. me I I just feel like I'm you're you're throwing kind of shit on the wall and you see what sticks and I'm I'm not going to be the shit that sticks like you see what I mean like it's just <laughs> Yeah, it's almost a little. Yeah, you know, to me, it's like okay, like I, I again, I appreciate and commend your efforts, but that's not how you build a relationship with investors, right? Right? People that are going to give you money. Would you give someone money if I just sent you a message? Hey, I need some money for my project. Here's my deck. No, hmm. you wouldn't. You know. Right. So, with, with that said, uh, we can we can definitely go into what was the question? The three must haves in a picture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I completely <laughs> forgot the question. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was just an important kind of uh, opener there to answer the question. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I mean, the the three the three must haves. Having constructed many, many, many pitch decks myself, and and also uh, looking at pitch decks, you know, pretty much every day, there's a couple of critical points that are always missed. Right. First of all, don't have a, a, an essay of text on every slide of the deck, right? That's just, I'll fall asleep after three slides. Um, you know, make it, I would say, make it short, make it concise, make it powerful, work on the messaging. One, of course, present. Here's the thing. There's either a problem or an opportunity, okay? A lot of people forget that. They go straight into, oh, I built this project and I did this and oh, this is how great it is. Okay, but to really entice me, you got to take me through a journey in this deck, right? One of the first things I want to see that gets my mouth kind of watering is what is the opportunity here or what is the big problem you're solving? Once I see that, I'm like, oh, okay, this sounds cool. Show me next slide. Every slide should have the mission of me thinking, wow, show me next slide. Right. Mm -hmm. So I need to know what is the opportunity or what is the problem uh, Two, of course, you need a solid go to market slash revenue plan here. Right. We know it's a pitch mm -hmm. deck. We know it's all numbers, numbers, they store projections, which is kind of fluffy <laughs> bullshit anyway. But I need to see that you put some effort into making at least a plan. 
right? We all know you're going to pivot probably extremely from that plan as you go, as any entrepreneur needs to do. But please at least make an effort to show me that you you have a plan. Like I'm sailing to New York, right? Like this is the route I'm going to go. Then at least I know, okay, you're going to New York and you think you're going that route, but I know you're probably not, but at least you're going to end up in New York instead of right. I'm just going to go out sailing. Okay. <laughs> but but where? Do you see what I mean? So yeah. That and then, you know, Present there's a there's a couple of things, but present the team, you know, in a manner that that gives me confidence that oh, this team might actually be able to pull it off, you know. To me, it's always a little bit, you know. I, I don't get me wrong. I am the guy who will say like I believe in you. If you tell me I'm going to make a billion dollars, I'm like okay, hell yeah, go for it. But wait, what? How much did you make last year? If you tell me 30K and you say you're going to make a billion this year, I'm going to be like, eh, you know, maybe let's make at least a five-year plan here, right? Do you see what I mean? Because it, yeah. it, it, it just doesn't happen. Like I'm all about law of attraction and thinking positive and all that, but let's not be stupid here, right? So, so you know, have a team in place. Make an effort to put maybe pull in some advisors that you work with, you know? Have some people that have been through this, uh, I guess all I'm saying really is, is you know, there's a million different pitch decks out there that have raised money, uh, the opportunity, the problem, the team, the go-to-market plan strategy slash revenue are all important, but, but really is, you know, on top of that, what most investors want to see is, you know, are you making an effort into this? Or do you think that you just came up with an idea on a piece of toilet paper last night and now, you know, we're going to give you all our money? Uh, and you might do something or you might not, that's not how it works. Even though if your plan is shit, I'd love to see a plan because you made an effort. That's that's about it. That's that's a good point. And I like it. Yeah. Um, and this this episode is definitely getting marked explicit. <laughs> Thanks for that. Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Is it, is it uh, kind of... No worries. Yeah, I, <laughs> no I didn't worries. drop any F-bombs yet, but I was, I was close. But, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our last question, then we're going to wrap it up. Uh, it's a standard question that I'm trying to ask every speaker of mine. It's what would be your advice for an early stage founder who is just beginning his or her journey right now? What should, uh, what three steps should he or she take to get to this first check? To his first check for an investor, you mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. First of all, like we discussed before, you know, make a plan to either uh, monetize or, or grab an opportunity or solve a problem, right? And depending on what you do, because here's, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit of a tricky question, I guess, for me, because, you know, we've, you know I've, I've helped companies raise money on just a PowerPoint where there's no lines of code written, but we still raise money because it's such a great idea. Uh, and other companies that have a full-fledged product and an app and, and all kinds of stuff, right? So so there's no, like, clear path, but but you need to have something that the market wants or needs is, is usually what i'm right. what i'm saying here if you're trying to be a pioneer of something completely new and uh, nobody ever seen you're going to have a a bit of a harder route to go because you got to build a track record if you have a track record you can be elon musk and and start all kinds of you know we're going to the moon and, and all that but if you're joe schmo and you want to build spacex it's probably not going to work <laughs> because you don't you're not elon musk you don't have paypal and you don't have the track record right so right so 
set out to, to solve a problem or to grab an opportunity, uh, set up your business in the right way and with a correct structure, show that you can handle a business, right? Have a lawyer, have an accountant, get all your financials set up, uh, get your contract set up, just show, show that you can actually run a business, mm -hmm. right? If, if you can, sure, get some clients, uh, get the clients to speak very well of you, get some press, get some little bit of buzz going on around you, uh, you know, because that's really what you what you need. Uh, you need to grab my interest as an, as an investor or any investor's interest and be like, hey, I was just interviewed in, in if it's Forbes or if it's Thrive or if it's whatever it is. Uh, okay, that's cool. You know, I have 10 customers or 100 customers and this is what they're saying. This is the problem we're solving. And here's my business set up. My accountant prepared this PL and balance sheets and blah, blah, blah for you. My lawyer has all these contracts ready to go. Okay, now you're serious. Mm -hmm. Because if you're not serious, why would I write you a check? Yeah. You know I mean? So that, that was a decent one, a pretty positive response as well. So we have, I thought that's going to be the last question. Nope. We have a question from the audience, and it's in your experience, what characteristics make companies suitable to raise money through ICOs, STOs, or other cryptocurrency based crowdfunding methods? Which is a good question. Thank you for that. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good question. So I would say when we generally look at the blockchain industry, right? I think that's, in my experience and in, in, in my own kind of thinking, I think if you have a blockchain project or company that, that again, solves a problem, if it's fintechs, if it's transport logistics, if it's medtech, whatever it is, and it needs to incentivize uh, people that are verifying transactions on the blockchain, uh, even if you're, or if you're checkpointing data, notarizing data, if you're saving data, whatever it is you are, you're, you need other people to verify, which is kind of what blockchain is, is about, right? Unless you're talking private, which is a whole different discussion. Um, that's when it becomes suitable to, to do a fundraise through those methods. You know, if you really have, if you can really justify the use of a token, in a network that incentivizes validators to be a part of it because that's how blockchain works right in in a in a, in a public blockchain uh, why would people you give you their computer power well because they get rewards right that's how ethereum mm -hmm. works that's how uh bitcoin works and, and all that stuff um so so that's really what i would say if, if you're going to start a company just starting a, a cryptocurrency to, to start a currency comes with a <laughs> lot of uh legal and and financial kind of uh, uh, stresses i guess uh, gaming is big now like you know you have you can prove prove that you own a certain item or a skin in a game or whatever digital id uh, there's a lot of stuff where you need people to help you verify for the security sake uh, on a blockchain, right? That's where those projects would come in and that's where it would make sense. That's a good response. And by the way, I want to mention here that I think you're not completely right. <laughs> I just had a okay. speaker who was talking about STOs and mm -hmm. that they can be basically 
if you use just like regular standard uh, security offering, just tokenized. Yeah. So I think that's that's a that's a great tool for mm -hmm. fundraising. Even though, in my opinion, it's a bit complicated, it's a bit more complex. Yeah. But I, I'm not a big fan of STOs because you're going into a legal landscape. That's uh, mm -hmm. it's. Remember the regulation, the regulatory framework in most of the world today uh, does not really support STOs. Blockchain. Yeah, uh, that's true. And it's a very, very gray area landscape. So you're kind of setting yourself up for trouble, in my opinion. Uh, that would be a way of, of kind of setting yourself up for, for some, some future trouble and, and some very expensive legal costs. Uh, I don't have any experience with, with doing STOs, but you know, from, from what I've heard, from what I've read, and being you know, quite deep into the, the blockchain space, uh, personally, I, I, I would never recommend doing an STO. We have, we have conflict here a bit. <laughs> I don't have yeah, enough yeah. experience yeah, yeah, in that's STOs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't have enough experience in blockchain whatsoever. Even my LinkedIn profile, I think, says I'm interested in any sort of startups except for healthcare and blockchain. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I will not comment on that. And we're going to wrap it up here, Sammy. Thanks a lot yeah. for coming up, for taking time to participate and for sharing yeah, your experience. So for having me. Yeah, it, it was great thought the end of the episode? Nope, not yet. In these uncertain times when a weird virus is spinning out of control and investors are trying to figure out where to put their money and not to lose it all, I have an answer. Invest in human capital. I will be among the first 10 people to participate in something called human IPO. So shortly about how it works. You can buy futures on my time now when it costs just $100 per hour. And when I become Mark Zuckerberg 2.0 and my time is worth uh, $1,000 per hour, you can sell it or redeem it, either making 10x return or bringing me to your firm as an advisor or speaker for a few hours. My offering is not live yet, so now you can only subscribe to my updates, but please do so and become the first one to buy my time when my offering goes live. To sum it up, in dark days, buy time, not toilet paper, and your money won't be flushed into the toilet. I'll leave a link to my profile on Human IPO in the description of this episode. And thanks again for listening to Fundraising Radio.